the more I am con- I'm convinced of two things. If you've grown up, if you grew up in a Christian home, if you grew up in the church, if you were like the youth group, the, the youth group kid, that typically two things happen when you come to college. Uh, there are two ways to sort of go. One way is what we could say you just sort of you just sort of uh, reject all of that. You rebel against all of that. You want to make your own way. You want to get. You want to distance yourself as far from any kind of ministry or church as you possibly can. You want to sort of find your own way. And the other way is to kind of come in and really become the rule keeper, really get super involved in the church, super involved in the campus ministry, and become, perhaps to your roommate, the self-righteous person that doesn't know they're self-righteous. And oftentimes that's how it goes. It's classic. I see freshmen go both ways. And so what do we do with that? And what I want to do with that tonight is look at a classic passage of scripture we actually looked at a little bit last week from Luke 15. Um, the parable is typically known as the parable of the prodigal son, but we're going to talk about it as the parable of the two lost sons. And let me read it for us from Luke 15, 11 to 32. This is the parable Jesus told. And he said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and get to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry 
and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, year, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let me pray once more for us, just for our time together. Jesus, we thank you for this parable. Um, for many of us, this is the first place we ever tasted grace. For many of us, this is the first place, if we know it, that we've ever saw the ugliness and the evil of our own self-righteous hearts. Lord, for many of us, this was the passage that we saw your sweetness for the first time. Lord, there's so many things for us here tonight. We can't possibly talk about all of them. But Lord, would you be gracious to let us just ponder in our hearts, ponder anew, ponder afresh, um, just a few of them tonight. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So my favorite movie this year actually got to win um, the Oscars, Birdman. I don't know if you saw it or not. But the movie opened with this line that's become one of my favorite lines. I actually tried to do this little artsy, like write it in my journal and then take a picture on Instagram. <laughs> it didn't turn out so great, but I tried. But here's the line, and here's what, here's what it says. from Raymond Carver. Raymond Carver is called Late Fragment. Here's what he says. It's a dialogue. He says, and did you get what you wanted from this life even so? I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved. To feel myself beloved on the earth. I love this because I think this is at the heart of us as humans. We long to be called beloved. And what I love about Luke 15 is that typically you see two brothers, two people, doing, trying to call themselves beloved in very different ways. One of them is trying to call himself beloved by going to the far country and holding back none of his pleasures, doing whatever he wanted, and trying in the name of that to be affirmed and be called beloved. The other one is staying at, stayed at home. He served. He slaved. He obeyed. To be called beloved. And yet, neither of them, neither of them at the beginning of this parable have it. And then one of them gets it. So let's just kind of look at it. I really, want to, as we look at this passage tonight, it's pretty simple the way I want to look at it. First, I just want to talk about how we're like the younger brother. Second, I want to talk about how we're like the older brother. And then lastly, I want to talk about how Jesus is like the father, but not like the older brother. It's pretty simple tonight. So first, I'm going to for a little bit about how you and I are exactly like the younger brother. Here's the first way. We treat the father as a threat to our happiness instead of our happiness. We treat God as a threat to our happiness instead of as our joy and happiness. If you know the story, you know that the request behind this request, basically the younger brother says, give me my inheritance now. The money that's coming to me, the things that are coming to me, give it to me now. Liquidate it, give it to me now. And the father does. But the request behind the request is basically saying, I wish you were dead now. Because I don't love you, I just want your stuff. I don't care about you, I just want what you can give me, be useful to me. Um, that's why I love Tim Keller likes to say that sin isn't just breaking the rules. I don't know what you think about sin if you grew up in the church. There are a lot of things you could possibly think about sin. And most of us think about sin as, here, here do these things, don't do these things. It's a list. Rules to keep, rules to, uh, things to not do. In this passage, you, you see that sin is not breaking the rules, it's breaking the Father's heart. It's breaking a relationship. It's breaking a trust and a joy that's supposed to be there. And yet, the younger brother rejects it and runs from it because he sees the father as a threat to his happiness. Second, how we're like the younger brother is we think our freedom is found in the far country. 
We think our freedom is found not at home with the Father, but in the far country, doing whatever we want to do with whoever we, whoever we please to do it with, being with whoever we want to be with, and doing going our own way. That the far country somehow is where freedom is going to be found, uh, that life is going to be better there. That, that we see our Father as, as someone who is uh, just too on top of us, too uncaring for us, and that his rules, instead of providing freedom, feel restrictive, so we run and go to the far country. I think about, I'm not an animal person at all. We have a cat who's an outdoor cat, which is like the best animal situation you could possibly have. Because you can just leave that thing for days and it just survives. Like some, literally sometimes we'll be driving and we'll see our cat in the sewer, like in the little sewers we're driving by. We're like, oh, there's Kitty. Her name is Kitty. <laughs> like, our kids named her Kitty. Um, she's great, but, you know, I could take her or leave her. Literally, we moved to Statesboro. Man, all people, you're going to hate me for this. But I was like, are we going to take Kitty? And Alyssa was like, of course we're going to take Kitty. She's our pet. And I was like, cool. Because outdoor cats don't exactly feel like pets. Anyways, we had dogs growing up there. This is probably why I'm not a pet person. We had three uh, Springer Spaniels growing up. I don't know if you're a Springer Spaniel person, but Springer Spaniels are full of energy. And neither of my parents were dog people. So it's kind of like we got dogs, I think, just to like be that family that had a dog. Well, the first two, Freckles was, I got her on my birthday, my fifth birthday. Freckles, in my eighth year of life, Got out from the fence, got hit by a car. Then we had Alex. Alex survived Hurricane Hugo, if you're old, if you remember that. And yet, when the fence came down, Alex also ran out and got hit by a car. When I think about my dogs, I think about myself. Because they, they literally thought freedom is found outside of the road's yard. Freedom is found in the far country. And you and I are like that. We think, these stupid gates, they're so restrictive. If I could just get out of them, into the road... And you and I are just like that because we think Jesus is a cosmic killjoy. We think Jesus is someone who's come to crash the party. And there are two things I want to say to you about Jesus that maybe you've missed if this is you. It's a lot of you here, by the way. Actually, it's some of you here. Here's the first thing I want to say. is One of the things, I'll never forget reading uh, Paul Miller's Love Walked Among Us. And he's talking about Jesus. And one of the points he makes is he says, Do you ever think about Jesus as a joyful, fun person to be with? And he said this. What kind of person always gets invited to parties? And so someone who people love to be around. Someone who is the life of a party. Do you know who got always invited to parties? Read the Gospels. Is Jesus. Now, he was pure at those parties. That's like, don't, like, some of you could run with this and, like, five points, woo! <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying there's a sense in which being with Jesus is to be, to be filled with joy, to laugh, to enjoy him. The second thing I would say to you is if you think about his rules as restrictive, I think you've misunderstood the heart of his rules. You know, the law of God, the word of God, is never meant to kill you. It's meant to give you life. I've used this before, but, you know, I always think we get a summer conference every year. We talk about it. My favorite donut place on the road. We have a rule with my kids because that road is a highway. And we often have to, so crowded, we often have to park across the highway and then walk across it to get donuts. And we have a rule with my kids where we say, you can't cross the street unless you're holding an adult's hand. Why do we have that rule? Because I'm a jerk? Because I'm a controlling dad? I have both those things at different levels. But that's not why we have that rule. We have that rule because I don't want my kids to die. I want them to live. Same with Jesus. Same with his word. Uh, I love the way that you have it in your handout. I love the way that Cynthia um, Heimel talks about this. That we think that life is going to happen somewhere else in the far country. Here's what 
she said, she's talking about celebrities. She wrote this in the Village Voice years ago. She said this. She said, I pity celebrities. No, I really do. They were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. You see, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed, and the morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, had happened, and they were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and then laughs merrily when you realize you want to kill yourself. And this is the moment for the younger brother where he he wakes up and he realizes all of these people he's partying with, all of these people he's with don't really love him. I mean, do you see that moment? He literally finds himself feeding what pigs eat. And if you've ever grown up on a farm or been around pigs, you know the nastiness of that. And he thinks, these people don't care about me. But maybe, just maybe, if I go home, my father will treat me like a hired servant. Those are just a few ways we could go on that we're like the younger brother. But now think with me for a second about how we're like the older brother. Because typically, I mean, a lot of you, you've heard this parable before, but you've only ever thought about the younger brother. But you've never thought about the older brother. And Jesus actually, the, 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 the end, like the climax, the, the, the point of the parable in some ways is the older brother who can't stand the younger brother, but also in a way can't stand the father. Think with me for a second about how we're like him. Here's the first. Uh, we treat the father as a tool to get what we want. He is not the end itself. He's the means to the end. He's the means to a husband. He's the means to the kind of job I want. He's the means to the kind of lifestyle I want. He's the means to the kind of whatever, happiness, emotional fulfillment that I want. He's a means, but he's not the end. And this is the way that the older brother is just like the younger brother. In other words, there, and this is where Keller is so helpful here. He says, you know, there are different ways to avoid Jesus. Very different ways. One is to run from him. And one is to serve him, but not to serve him. To serve him because you want to control him and have him at your disposal. That he must give you what he wants as you serve him and obey him. You don't really want him, but you want you serve him and obey him to get what you want from him. My kids do this all the time. I've got it's, it's fun to like. Let me just say, like, I hope some of you can relate more to one than the other tonight. It's certainly true in our lives. We can all at some points relate to both. But it's fun to like kind of look at your kids and say, I've got an older brother and I've got a younger brother. I've got a couple younger brothers. I might have a couple older brothers. But my older brother in my family, and this was me, like she doesn't, she, he, she, <laughs> doesn't really love me. They just obey me because they want me to do what they want me to do. And then, like, other ones in my family just rebel from, like, they're just like, I'm doing what I want, and I'm burning this thing down. Not literally. Actually, one of them's gotten into matches, so maybe literally that's coming. But the older brother, he obeys, but it's not out of love. He obeys out of usefulness. Um, This really came home to me uh, uh, a few years ago. Stevie Johnson, he's not as good as he was this year. He's playing for his wide receiver for the Bills. And he was having this fantastic season. And in particular, he was having this incredible game where he had like 200-plus yards, I think like three or four touchdowns. But he dropped the game-winning catch. Like the Bills had, I don't even remember who they were playing, but they had a chance to beat whoever it was. Literally, he has the ball in his hands and he just drops it. 
It was fascinating. It was not so much that it was sad because it was kind of like all the yards and catches didn't really matter because they lost. But what was sad was the way he responded after the game. And he got on Twitter, and here's what he said. He, he was talking to God. He was, he was a Christian, professing Christian. Here's what he said after he dropped the ball. He said, literally, this is all cap, caps lock to God. I praise you 24-7, and this is how you do me? You expect me to learn from this? Question mark, question mark, question mark. How? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I'll never forget this. Thanks, though. And when I read that, I thought, ha, that's my heart. God, I've served you and been faithful, and you're screwing me over? Are you serious right now? Like, why am I doing this? So you're saying, even if I obey you and serve you and don't do the things that all my friends are doing or do the things that none of my friends are doing or whatever, however you think about it, and suffering still comes into my life and I still fail the class and I still lose the girlfriend and I still, like that's in our hearts. We're just like the older brother. And this is the second way, is that we live by what I could call, what we could call karma, not by grace. Karma being the idea that you get what you deserve. I mean, the idea of karma... I don't know if you watch 30 Rock or not. It's like the idea of the universe where, you know, if you do good things, you get good things back. You do bad things, you get bad things back. There's a sense in which, of course, we could say as Christians, of course, there's a sense the law of God matters. It's not like it doesn't matter at all. But we also know if you read the book of Job that you can do a lot of good things and a lot of bad things come into your life. And you can do a lot of bad things, the psalmist would say in Psalm 73, and a lot of good seems to come into the lives of a lot of those who do bad things, things that God doesn't like. But living by karma versus living by grace. I love the way, I'm not a huge U2 fan. Um, they just feel old. And then when they did the iTunes thing, that felt really intrusive. Um, but I do really respect some things that Bono says. And he, the, what he says about the difference between karma and grace, I think, is brilliant. Here's what he says. You, I don't think you have it in your hand. I'll just listen to me. Uh, you see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or an opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes this idea called grace to end all that. As you reap, so you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. I'd be in deep. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I love what he says. I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins unto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend and my own religiosity. This is what the younger brother gets, the older brother doesn't. The, other bro- the younger brother is brought to the end of himself. And younger brothers, it's, in some ways, it's an easier way to get to the end of yourself. You know it's a lot harder? Getting to the end of yourself as an older brother. Because that stuff is addictive. Because you can be here, and you can be singing, and you can be tracking, and you can be so self-righteous it's disgusting to God. But you've never been called to repent of it. Or maybe you've never seen it. And maybe you've never seen the ugliness of your own heart. How do you know you're an older brother? I think there are five signs. Because I think there are a lot of older brothers here, me included. Here's the first sign. Your life is marked by deep anger. This is why I love, if you have a chance on Netflix, if you get bored, or if we have some, God, today was so disappointing. I was so longing for a snow day that I literally just took the morning off and watched like three episodes of Better Call Saul, like in rebellion to the not snow day. But if you have a little chance, um, Netflix, 
Uh, Amadeus, if you're a music person especially, but even if you're not a music person, it's the story of Mozart and Salieri. Salieri was this composer that in some ways was around before Mozart. He was very successful. Then this young, younger brother, Mozart, who's wild and crazy and you know, sort of innovative in some ways, but not very serious, comes along and he's a genius. And he captivates all of Europe. And Salieri, it's a story about how Salieri just basically is so deeply angry and jealous of Mozart. There's this beautiful scene where literally Salieri is in church and he's fuming with anger because Mozart is being more successful than him. And he literally prays, God, I will do anything, anything for you if you give me more success than Mozart. And it doesn't turn out that way. And at the end, Salieri, sort of sadly, I'll let you watch it, but it just sort of simmers in his anger at, at life, at God, at Mozart, and just full of jealousy. Two, a sign that you're an older brother. Your obedience is joyless and mechanical. So, I mean, you have, a, I don't know what to call them, quiet time. Devo has always been my least favorite special time. I don't think I've ever heard it called that. Um, time in word and prayer. We could call it a lot of things. I don't know what you call it. Whatever you call it, your spiritual disciplines. I feel like I just keep going, and it's making me feel how weird we are as Christians. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm really sorry for how weird we are. But, but you do it with joylessness and just going through the motions. That's why G.K. Chesterton said that thing where he said, let your religion be less uh, theory and more of a love affair. Your obedience is joyless mechanical three. You're cold... To younger brother types. Absolutely cold. Give them the stank eye. Avoid them. This is why some of you are so glad to leave your freshman dorm. You're like, ah, finally, I'm away from those younger brothers. I remember going on a retreat in college. I was with FCA. And we went to this um, mountains in North Carolina. And I was, I was the kid who was so self-righteous coming into college. Like, I was the kid who was like, I'm not going to do a fraternity because Christians don't do fraternities. I was the kid who was like, literally, I, I thought I was a better Christian than everybody because I've said this before, but because I didn't listen to any secular music. I just only listened to Christian music. And, like, I was just really full of myself and didn't know it yet. And I remember going on this trip, and there were these guys. I think they were from the Citadel. We heard these guys, and we were walking in back from our, like, the big group talk or whatever. And they were just outside where we were sleeping. They were just smoking. And I remember coming in, there was this older group in FCA that I was like so badly wanted to impress. And I thought, I know I'm going to impress them. I'm going to like disdain these smokers. And I remember walking in and being like, guys, guess what these people are doing out here? They're smoking. And I remember one of the girls, very sarcastic, saying, oh my God, they're smoking. How terrible of them. And then I like simmered with jealousy and hated her for the rest of my college because I felt shame in front of her. And I think I went to bed. But I was the kid that, that here's what self-righteousness does. You look for small things that make you better than other people. So like you don't drink or you don't have sex or you don't, you know, whatever it is. I don't know what it is for you. You go to church. But the thing is you reduce the heart of Jesus in scripture to very small things. And what Jesus says to the Pharisees is you miss the heart of God. Because you've, met, you've searched the scriptures, but you've missed me. And you've missed me because you've reduced the Bible to this very small list of keepable things that you think you do better than other people on this campus. And that's why you think God loves you. And guess what? He doesn't love you because of that. In fact, he hates that. Because God only loves those who are unlovely. And only those who know that they are unlovely ever deeply or experience or feel the love of God. And some of you are here and you're wondering, I don't feel the love of God. Do you know why you don't feel the love of God? Because you don't know how unlovely you are. 
The more deeply you feel how unlovely you are, the more deeply you will experience the love of God. For you lack assurance of the Father's love. I love that Jesus adds that small detail. Maybe I just love this because I'm a physical touch person, but I love the image of the father kissing the younger son. Like, that's an image, even as Americans, that we're a little bit. Like, my dad is a sweet man, and he will kiss me on the cheek. And it weirded my friends out growing up. And I love that about him. Because I think it's a small picture of the kind of father that God is. Because clearly God is saying, this is the kind of father I am. I'm the kind of God who gives you the kisses of my love. And that makes some of you deeply uncomfortable. Why? Maybe it's because you've never experienced the love of God. Fifth, uh, you have a judgmental and unforgiving spirit. Again, confession as an older brother. I remember going on the first mission trip. We're going to Greece in a week and a half. The first mission trip I ever went on was in West Virginia. And I remember distinctly there were two different guys' rooms. The one I was sleeping in, there were like five of us, and there was this other room with like five other guys. And I remember distinctly this one night where, like I was the kid who was like trying to lead my room in prayer. I was like, guys, let's read a psalm and pray together. And they were like, okay, older guy in our youth group, let's do that. And so we did, and I was like feeling really good about that. And then I felt even better the next morning because of what was going on in the other room. Because in the other room, it turns out, uh, it turns out we learned the next morning they were talking all kinds of like just like sex jokes and like how hot the girls were. But what they didn't know was the girls were sleeping right below them and heard like everything, which is kind of beautiful in some ways and really not in other ways. But I remember when I heard that, like I'm not even kidding, like I was beaming. And I remember going to my youth minister and saying, you know what we were doing while they were doing that? We were praying. Like I'm not even kidding, like I was gushing. I was like, we were praying. And I remember him looking at me and he like, it looked like he wanted to punch me in the face. And I was so confused by that because I was like, we were doing the right thing. But I think what he was saying was, like, who were you? Great. That's great that you were praying. Why were you praying? Because you love Jesus? Or because you love the feeling of someone recognizing that you're good? And for me, my whole life, I love the feeling of someone recognizing that I'm good. I don't love Jesus. I mean, I do love Jesus. But it's taken me a long time to get there. Um, Because I missed it for so many years. So, all right, how you're like the younger brother, how you're like the older brother. And lastly, I think we for a little bit, we we would miss this passage if we didn't think about what Jesus is trying to say to us about himself, how he's like the father, but unlike the older brother. First, think about for me with this, think with me about how he's like the father. First, he's willing to humiliate himself to embrace us. The shocking thing, if you, were, uh, if you were a Jew, if you were in this culture, the shocking thing in this passage to you, there was a lot, be a lot of shocking things. One of the shocking things would be the way the father conducted himself. Uh, he hiked up his skirt, which is something that they didn't do in that culture. It was shameful. He ran, which is also something you didn't do as a respectable male in that culture. He kissed his son. And the biggest thing of all is he forgave. Like he didn't say, all right, son, here the, I love you, but here are the consequences. He said... Here's a party. And you have to understand that would be humiliating to the faithful religious Jews in the community because it was not what he was supposed to do. He was willing to humiliate himself. This is what I love about Jesus. Think about Jesus. How is Jesus willing to humiliate himself? On the one hand, he was born in a stable. He wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't even born in a holiday inn. Or even in like Lexington Hospital. He was born literally with animals. 
Well, that was not a mistake, by the way. He's trying to say something about his humble, his willingness to humble himself to be our Savior. And then he died on a cross. That's what Hebrews says that he was willing, and Philippians 3 says that he was willing, Philippians 2 says that he was willing to humble himself to the point of obedience, even to death, that a common criminal would die. He's willing to humiliate himself in order to embrace us. Second, his embrace leads us to change, not vice versa. Listen, some of you think the way to get on with Jesus is you change and then he embraces you. And can I lovingly say to you, you've missed Christianity. Maybe you're not a Christian. Because the way it always works in Christianity is you're embraced by Jesus first, as you are, in all of your ugliness. And then you change. That's always the pattern of repentance. It's faith and repentance. Jesus loves me as I am, not as I should be, and then change happens. Not, I'm going to be what I should be, and then Jesus will embrace me. Um, Think about all he brought home, literally, to his family was was nothing. He, He brought nothing to the table. Except his failure, except his shame, except his sin. And this is where I love, you know, Jesus loves you where you are, not where you've been pretending to be. You have to understand this if you're ever going to understand the heart of Jesus toward you. I love, I don't know if you got a chance to see the movie Ida, it's also on Netflix. I feel like I'm just giving, one sermon I'm going to give is just going to be like Netflix recommendations. But uh, Ida is a fantastic movie, it won Best Foreign Picture at the Oscars, but it's basically, it's basically the story. It's the story of Ada, this, uh, this nun who, who, who learns that she actually is Jewish and she's wrestling, but she has to go visit her aunt before she can actually be kind of ordained um, as a nun. And so she goes and visits her aunt, Wanda, and Wanda is like the polar opposite. Wanda is like an independent woman who loves to drink, loves to sleep around, loves to just be in charge of her life. She's the younger brother. And the movie's just sort of about one, as Wanda sort of, uh, Wanda dies one night and, and Ida wants to sort of know what it's like to live as Wanda, and so she, so she does. But there's this scene that I love, it's a conversation between Ida and Wanda as they're visiting together, where Wanda, she gets really, really drunk, and she comes home and she says this, your Jesus didn't hide out in a cave with books, but went out into the world. This Jesus of yours adored people like me, like Mary Magdalene. And what I love about it and what I hate about it is she came so close to the gospel in that conversation. That I'm the kind of person that Jesus loves. And yet she was still so far from the gospel because she still kept her arm out saying, but I'm not the kind of person that Jesus could ever love. That is some of you tonight. You, know, you, can say, you can read the gospel and say, I'm the kind of person Jesus loves, and yet your heart is still saying, but he cannot possibly love me. And can I say to you, this passage is saying absolutely he can Absolutely, you can. You're never beyond the reach of his love. You're never beyond the reach of his grace. The thing with me, how he's like the father, think how he's like unlike the older brother. And this is part of the passage that's sometimes weird for us. I mean, this is the part of the passage for me that I still wrestle with. This, this basically what part of what Jesus is saying is I am the old, I am doing what the older brother should have done. Like if you think about Luke 15, you, you've heard this before, but it's a story of lost things. There's a lost coin, there's a lost sheep, and in every story but this one, there's someone going to find the lost thing. There's a shepherd going to find the lost sheep, there's a woman in the house trying to desperately find her lost coin, and this is the only passage in stark contrast to the rest of them where there's not someone going out and searching for the lost brother. Why? Because the older brother should have been doing that. The older brother should have been the one who was going out to find the lost younger brother. And he didn't. And Jesus is saying, but I'm the one who came for you. 
I'm the one who came to find the lost and bring them home. Think about it like this. The older brother was pissed because, in a sense, the younger brother was getting his riches. He was. I mean, he was getting his fattened calf. He was getting his party. He was getting being welcomed into his house because he's the one who stayed. He's the one that was faithful. He's getting his stuff. And then think about how Jesus freely gave us not only his stuff, but himself. Jesus was stripped naked that we might get the robe. Jesus left his throne above that we might get the ring. Jesus drank the cup of wrath that we might get the feast and the cup of wine and the cup of joy. In the second way, it's like unlike the older brothers, he did come to seek and save what is lost. You know, I was reading, uh, this does not happen often, so I don't want to paint it like it does. But I was in the first business cafe yesterday, and I was reading uh, through the lectionary. I grew up in the Episcopal Church, and sometimes it's still helpful for me. And I'm reading through Hebrews 12, verse 13. And it's that passage where Jesus said, basically the author of Hebrews says, there's going to be a day where Jesus stands before us. And says, here are my brothers and sisters. I present them to you, Father, and I am proud of them. Because I love them, and he's going to publicly praise us. And it's a weird, I mean, it's a beautiful image. Because for some of us, for me, it's like, sometimes that's not an image of Jesus. But there's a day coming, because I know who I am. And so does Jesus. But there's a day coming where... Listen, we long for that. If you have an older brother, or if you are, like literally you have an older brother, it's what you want for them. You long for them to affirm you, to say, I'm proud of you. And there's a day coming where Jesus literally is going to stand before the Father and say, here are my brothers and sisters. I love them, and I am proud of them, and I am not ashamed to call them my younger brothers and sisters. How do we want to close? Two things, a word to older brothers and a word to younger brothers. Word to older brothers. I love the way. Let's just embrace, let's just embrace that. I love the way that the the words of the father to the older brother. I think are the words that my heart needs to hear. And here's what he says: "You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours." You hear what he's saying? He's saying, "What more can I do to show you that I love you? What more can I do to show you that my heart is for you?" Not against you. What more can I do to show you my heart of joy and delight over you? I love sometimes we sing in RUF. There's a, a, a hymn that we sing that goes like this. Think what spirit dwells within thee. Think what father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee. Child of heaven, canst thou repine. There's also a word to younger brothers. And it's a different word. If the word to older brothers is... Every, you are always with me and everything that is mine is yours. The word to younger brothers is simply this. Come home. The far country might seem fun for a while, but it is a cold and lonely place where you are not loved. And there is a place where Robert Frost, I love the way Robert Frost says it, home is the place where when you come, they always have to take you in. And we can say about the Father, home is the place for us where not only does he have, he doesn't have to, he longs to take you in. He longs to Meet, meet you where you are with the grace that's almost too good to be true. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, you, you know where we are. Um, you know those of us who are younger brothers, we're running from you. You know those of us who are older brothers, and we are so self-righteous that we don't even know it. Lord, would you be gracious uh, 
to call us to repentance, to call us to come home, to call us to know your heart for us, to call us to repent even of the good things we're doing because we want to be seen as good, not because we love you. Lord, would you meet us wherever we are tonight? Would you speak to us, be gracious to us, draw us, we pray in Christ's name.